Psalms chapter 93. This is a short one tonight. A short psalm. So what I'm going to kind of do, uh, we're going to talk about everything that's in this chapter, but then I kind of want to use this chapter to just kind of back up some other things in the Bible. I'll tell you what my title uh, to this message is a little later. Kind of see where I want to go with this chapter. But Psalms 93, let's go ahead and read the whole chapter. It says, The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So right here, this is a, uh, of course, again, it's a, it's a psalm, it's a song. And we see just a lot of words of praise in here. Just kind of lifting up God and exalting God. And a lot of our songs that we sing today, they're songs that um, they just, a lot of times they just say a lot of great things about God. You know, we'll sing a song. Uh, some of our songs are not necessarily doctrinally deep. But they're good songs of praise. You know, we'll sing a chorus like, God is so good. Pretty much, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Not real deep, right? But a great truth, isn't it? And it's good to sing things like that because, you know, when we're singing songs like that, if you have a song like that in your heart that God is so good, it's going to be a reminder to you that God is good. And if you have those days when you're feeling down and doesn't feel like He's good, you've got that song in your heart, you know He is He is good to you. And it also is a reminder too, you know, you don't need to feel like a victim because God's good to you. And so, psalms are very important. You know, uh, having songs in our heart are very important because there's great truths in these songs. And there's just, I, I think one of the reasons the devil uses music as much as he does is because I think it's a very quick way to the heart. I mean, it's a very good way to get into the subconscious part of the brain. You know, the other day I was at work. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking about this TV show. This specific episode of a TV show pops in my head. And all of a sudden, I noticed there a song playing that on this show, they were singing that song, but with different words. And I didn't even know it was a real song. And I was listening, and I was like, that's why I was thinking of that episode. You know, I, didn't even, I wasn't even paying attention to the song, but subconsciously, it was making me think of things, wasn't it? And so, I mean, we all know just the power that music has. And... You know, we can memorize things faster. You know, it, to me, it's a lot easier to memorize a song than a, than a poem or even a verse of scripture because that music it just helps us remember things. And so it is. It's a very good thing. And so, in the in a lot of the things we see in the Book of Psalms, they might not necessarily be doctrinally deep, but we do see a lot of doctrine in there. Sometimes there's some pretty deep doctrine, but these were things that they would. Uh, like this one, it's just it's saying great things about God. And let's kind of go through some of these things, and I'm going to kind of get to the main thing that I want to talk about. But like I said, so a lot of psalms are just lines of praise. It, you know, this chapter here, it's not specifically trying to teach a specific doctrine, but the things that are in Psalms, it's the Word of God, isn't it? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, and that includes psalms. Okay? And there's things in here 
that are profitable that we can use in our other doctrine. We're going to get into those things in a little bit. But first, let's just look at what's actually here in Psalms and what it's actually talking about, what it's actually teaching. Okay, Because it's a short chapter, but it's a great song that mainly focuses on the power of God. It's pretty clear this psalm it's focusing on the power of God. It says in verse 1, you know, the Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also established that it cannot be moved. Okay? Now, if we can't see God, how does He know what God is clothed with? Okay? Well, the thing is, what He's talking about is He is clothed with majesty. He's clothed with strength. How, how does He know that? Because we know this is His creation, don't we? And all we have to do is look at this creation and it's clear we have a powerful, we have a majestic, we have a very mighty God. We have a God of great strength. Okay? And so you could say that His creation, this creation is His clothing. Okay? You can tell a lot about somebody by their clothing, can't you? Alright? Uh, don't judge me by my clothing. Sorry, people do that. Okay? And it's accurate. We see in Proverbs, there was one that met him with the attire of an harlot. Okay? Judged her by her clothing, and it just so happened that her actions uh, went along with the clothing that she was wearing. And you know what? The Bible here is saying that God's clothing is this creation. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that He is a mighty, powerful, majestic God. We have an amazing creation. And I know we don't. it's hard for us to appreciate that living in Illinois and just being surrounded by cornfields. But you know what? It's pretty around here. It is. I mean, just we have a beautiful sky. The clouds are pretty. You know, the fields are pretty. Just go north of Sterling. Go out there where there's kind of some rolling hills and things. It, it's a beautiful drive. The fall's pretty around here. It's just, you know... And you know what? Snow's pretty too. Alright? As long as you're just looking at it and you're not feeling it. Okay? You know, it, it's it's pretty. Okay? We, it is pretty out here. I know, you know, it, we're, we get used to the flatness. But, you know, people that are from other parts of the country, they think it's cool when they come out here and they see all the corn and stuff. Okay? We don't care. You know, I'd like to see some mountains, and you know, I'd like to be able to look out my backyard and see a mountain. But you know, people out there, they'd probably like to just see flat. I don't know, maybe not. But anyway, notice what it says there. I, I want to address this real quickly. It says, "Wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also established that it cannot be moved." All right. Now, we all know what that verse is often used for in the flat Earth crowd. They like to use that to prove that it's not spinning or anything like that. But that's not what it's saying in this passage. And there are many verses like that where it talks about how it cannot be moved and things like that. In other words, we're just not it's not trying to teach the doctrine of the planet and how it's laid out and how it works. It's just trying to show one that hey, this is a first of all it's a massive place and you know what? With all the people that we have, think about this. If we got everybody in the planet to jump at the same time, it wouldn't even shake the earth, would it? It wouldn't do a thing. We've set off nukes. I mean, look at all the things that we've done with all the technology we have, and we can't even, we can't knock it out of course. We can't slow down the spin or whatever, alright? There, there's nothing that we can do to affect it. Why? Because this is big. And you know what? That's a reminder of just how minuscule and insignificant we are. That here we are, you know, we do, we have this just gigantic, planet that's full of beauty and as big as we think we are sometimes, you know, we can't move it. I know I talk about how, 
you know, Chuck Norris doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the world down. But no, no, you know, that's a joke, all right? That, that's, not re- that's not real. I've said those things about myself before, too. But no, nothing we can do. I mean, we could get a joint effort, have the whole world jump at the same time, and we wouldn't even feel it. Okay? That's how insignificant we are. That's how gigantic, how majestic this world is. We, with all the things that we've done, we still have the regular seasons, don't we? We still have four seasons. We can't knock this thing out of orbit. There's nothing we can do. We're just not even capable of it. And that's what that's talking about. And this, it's not as clear in this passage as it is in some of the other passages. I'm not going to take the time to go to all of them tonight. I'd rather not waste my time on that subject. But um, that's what it's talking about here. All right. And I think we can kind of prove that a little bit better too because... A little bit later, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but starts talking about the waters, okay? And how powerful they are. And basically, there's nothing we can do to stop waters, King. A water is a very powerful force. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's just kind of showing in this passage how with this creation that we have, we don't have the ability to affect it, to move it, to change it. You know, we can't stop the seasons from coming. I wish we could figure out a way to stop winter, you know? I wish we could contribute to global warming. I'd like to warm this planet up a little bit, all right? especially in the wintertime. And I try. I burn a lot of stuff in my backyard. All right? And a lot of the things I burn, I burn at night, you know, so people can't see all the black smoke. But anyway, I uh, probably shouldn't be confessing that right now. But we, do, we, we can say that creation is the majesty that the Lord is clothed, with, is clothed with. And this amazing universe, this amazing planet, it is a testimony to the power of God. It, and then, like in Psalms 8, you know, when I consider thy heavens, you know, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? That ought to humble us when we think about the fact that our collective efforts as man, we can't even shake this planet, and yet God pays attention to us. There's all those billions or trillions of stars that are out there. And yet, God focuses His attention on us. He has the hairs of our head numbered. What does that say about God? Okay, it's saying some things in here that we ought to consider these things. We ought to meditate on these things. These things ought to be in our hearts because these things that are said in this psalm, they will cause us to be amazed by God. It will cause us to be amazed by Him. It will cause us to be humbled at the fact that He pays attention to us. And you know what? It will also cause us to realize that you know what? We're safe. Alright? You know, he we can trust him. He can handle whatever situation I'm in. If we would think about these things, like I mentioned in here, I think we'd have a lot more faith. But I believe this planet too, it's a uh, testimony to the creativity of God. You think about rainbows. We just saw a great rainbow a few days ago. I think it was on Monday. Did you see that one? That I mean that was a great full rainbow. Just beautiful. You know, God did that. God made that. Okay? And, you know, when you look at the stars, just this morning when I went out to work, I went and I just, I noticed the stars were looking really bright. You know, and I took a few seconds to look at them and just think, you know, it, it's amazing. And I just saw one night before last that looked very orange. An orange star. What planet would that be? Was that Mars? Yeah, it, looked, it, was, it was very, very noticeable. The other night, I was wishing I had a good telescope to, to to look at it. You could see it really good, but it's beautiful. You know the northern lights. 
I never actually got to see the Northern Lights. I've seen the videos and things of. I'd love to see the Northern Lights. That would be really cool to see that. It's you know it's beautiful. It's like you know why why did God do those things? I think one of the reasons God made things the way He did is for our pleasure. A lot of the things that God put on this earth, He made for our pleasure, but also to show His power. You know, God didn't make just a plain, ugly earth. He made a beautiful planet. He's made a beautiful, magnificent universe. And we ought to enjoy these things. So it's a, you know, so these, this creation, it's a testimony of the power of God. It's a testimony of the creativity of God. You know what? It's a testimony to the infinite nature of God. It says in Psalms 147 verse 4, He telleth the number of the stars, He calleth them all by their names. Now think about that. Okay? Now, we don't even know what the numbers of the stars are. With all the telescopes and things we have today, you know, they don't even know. They only estimate how many stars there are. They can only estimate. Well, God knows how many stars there are, and He's got names for all of them. And, you know, and, the, and in their estimations of star, the amount of stars there are, I mean, do we even have enough combinations of letters in our English alphabet to be able to give them all names? Alright, I, you know, how does God do that? I don't know. Obviously, our minds could, can't comprehend it, but God can. He's the one that made them. And He said, and it, you know, it, a lot of people too. You know, they start when you start talking about a massive universe and stuff. They're like, you know, what's the point? All right. You know, I heard Tyler Doker talking about that when he was talking about, you know, if there's just trillions of planets, you know, you know, what's the point of all that? You know, it doesn't make sense that God would make this, you know, infinite universe. Why not? It's an infinite God. He's an infinite God. He's an all-powerful God. Why not, just to show off and to show how powerful He is, just make an infinite universe with trillions and trillions of stars? He can do that. I don't think it was any harder for Him to do it that way. You know, that I'm sorry, that's a bad argument to make right there. That's a really bad argument. I mean, what did God tell Abraham? You know, He said, look at the stars if you're able to number them. You know, that's how your seed's going to be. God obviously made it where we couldn't number the stars for a reason. To show how powerful He is. To show it makes it even more obvious that there is a Creator. So, uh, you know, that, that's a very, very bad argument that He makes. Um, I, I, do, I believe this universe is a testimony to the infinite nature of God. Uh, and then, um, so back to Psalms 93. Uh, lost my spot. So in verse two, well, before we do that, so uh, go to Second Timothy three sixteen. All right, I mentioned this earlier, but go ahead and go to Second Timothy three sixteen. I want to read this verse to you. One of the many three six important three sixteen passages in the Bible. All right, I'm not a numerology person, but I, I do think it's interesting how many important verses are three sixteens in the Bible. But um. It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So what are some doctrines, All right, what are some things in this passage that are profitable to us? All right, What doctrines are profited by Psalms chapter 93? Because it says all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. So let's look at some of these things. And before we do that, I forgot to mention too, so in verse 4, 
when it says the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Okay? Notice, it's what do they say is probably the most powerful force in the world? It is water, isn't it? You know, when you think about your water and the, the damage that it can do, you know, just a flood, you know, and, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. I mean, we're just completely helpless. Okay, we've all seen it before. When you know, you know the Rock River, it gets flooded a lot. Thankfully, where we're at, it doesn't do a whole lot of damage anywhere around us. But whenever there's been major floods, isn't it amazing just how helpless we are to those things? I mean, one river, one river getting flooded can absolutely devastate a town. They'll call out the National Guard. I mean, the communities will all get together and start laying sandbags and things. But in the end, they are at the mercy of nature. When those floods start happening, there's nothing they can do to stop that stuff. You know, tsunamis. We've seen what a tsunami can do. The things that water is able to destroy. And I think water, you know, it is. It's one of the most powerful forces of nature. And what's interesting, it says in verse 5, or in verse 4, it says, The Lord on higher is mightier than the noise of many waters. Okay, so it's showing, you know, God's clothed in majesty, this creation, it's kind of his, his clothing. We see there are things on this earth that are very powerful, like the water, and yet God is more powerful than that water. So, just an interesting thing right there. So anyway, what is profitable in Psalms 93? What doctrines can be profited by the verses in here? Alright, we'll look at verse 2. I think the first thing we see, it says, Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. Okay, and that is the eternal nature of God. Okay, God is eternal. He has always been. Okay, we like to try to put times on everything, don't we? You know, we always like to try to figure out how our, you know, old stuff is, or how old the earth is, and we all see how you know, dating doesn't isn't very accurate in our world today. But we like looking at those things. We like trying to figure out how old stuff is. But you know what's interesting is God was before. That, you know, people like to talk about how old the universe is. Well, you know what? God was before the universe. He is from everlasting. Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. God was before everything. That is an important thing for us to realize. Okay, When we understand the eternal nature of God, Okay, it, it's going to open our eyes to many other things. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. If, and this is why it was so devastating to our country when they quit, you know, when they started teaching evolution and whenever they quit t- teaching about uh, God in schools. It was very devastating for many reasons. But let's read some passages here. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him... All things consist. Now, who is this talking about here? Is this talking about the Father or the Son? It's talking about the Son, isn't it? Because, notice, it's talking about Jesus, 
who is the image of the invisible God. Okay? This is talking about Jesus Christ here. And it's saying by Him all things consist. We see in John 1, uh, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Did you know that the Son has been around just as long as the Father? Okay? Jesus Christ is eternal. Okay? Jesus Christ did not have a beginning like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach. Okay? Jesus did not begin uh, when He was conceived in the womb. Or the Son, I don't want to misrepresent Tyler Baker, all right? All right, the Son did not begin in the womb of Mary. Right here, it's specifically talking about the Son. It's specifically talking about the Son, who is the image of the invisible God. And it says that He was before all things, and by Him all things consist. Jesus Christ has been just around just as long as God the Father has been. We believe in the eternal Sonship of Jesus Christ. And so, by Him all things consist. It says in verse 18, "...and He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence." Alright? Talking about Jesus Christ. In all things, He should have preeminence. Now why is that? How dare He say that? Well, I'll tell you how He dares say that. Because by Him all things consist. There would be no church if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. There would be no you if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. There would be no earth if there would be no universe if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. It says, For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say whether they be in earth or things in heaven, and you who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. So right here we see that this doctrine is important because you know, people get all bent out of shape. They get so bent out of shape when you start talking about a Jesus-only salvation. When you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We're like, well, what about the Muslims? You know, what about the Jews? What about... Well, what about them? They can get saved through Jesus too. Well, yeah, but they don't believe in Jesus. They believe in some other God. Well, then they're going to go to hell unless they believe in Christ. Well, how, you know, how dare you say that? Here's how I dare say that. Because by Him all things consist. Alright, now listen. If I make something, if I, if I were to go and I, I make something, I build something, I mean, it, it's something, it, it's my creation. If I want to take it and destroy it, I have the right to do that, right? You know, it's rude to go and just destroy some kid's sandcastle he made, right? But isn't it fun to destroy sandcastles or to or to pulverize snowmen? That's another fun thing to do too. I love building a snowman and then just going and beating the snot out of it until it falls apart. Anybody ever done that before? Alright, that, that's a lot of fun. Now it would be rude for me to go and, you know, if one of you build a snowman and then I just go and I start roundhouse kicking it. You know, go all Chuck Norris on it. That, that would be wrong for me to do that, right? But hey, but if I build it, I can do what I want to with it. Alright? I can make it look however I want. Alright? It's my snowman. Alright? I did it. And I didn't even create the snow. Okay? And you all would agree with that. Well, here's the thing. If Jesus Christ is the one who made everything that is and gave us life, then why can't He tell us that He's the only way to heaven? Why can't He tell us what to do? Why can't He give us His law 
and tell us to follow it. It actually would make sense that He would be able to do that. It would actually make sense that we would submit to His will. It would actually make sense that we would give Him the preeminence in everything if we understood that by Him all things consist. But you see, when the world gets bent out of shape, when we start teaching these things, you know why? It's because they don't believe by Him all things consist. They don't believe in creation. They believe, they believe in the Big Bang. They believe in evolution. They think that we are just here by a series of, you know, events. You know, a combination of events took place and we all ended up here. And you know what? If that was the case, then yes. Who are you to say one person is wrong and another person isn't? But you know what? We do have a right to say that because we've been given God's Word. He's told us to spread His message. This is His Word. And He's the one that said Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. And since He's the one who gave Me life, since He's the one who made this universe, you know what? Yes, He should get preeminence in everything. It, it just makes logical sense. But, you understand that many people, they don't believe this today. They don't understand this. But you know what? We, we understand it. And we should know it. And you know what? Psalms 93 helps us understand it. Psalms 93, what it teaches there in verse 2, it is profitable for the doctrine of the eternal nature of God. Because understanding that God was before everything that was here, and God is the cause of everything that's here, it proves His authority. It proves that He has the right to demand things of us. And so, all these you know, crybaby millennial atheists that are out there that get all bent out of shape when we say these things, you know what? They can just keep on crying. Because they can deny God all they want, but you know what? He can't deny Himself. They can try to ignore the fact that He doesn't exist, or ignore the fact that He exists all they want, but it doesn't change the fact that one of these days, He's going to come with clouds and their eyes are going to see Him too. And God's going to pour His wrath out on them and they're going to be cast into hell. So this is, this is a very, the eternal nature of God is a very important doctrine and one we ought to understand and one that was in their songs. So, when we, when we understand everything came from Him, we understand that He has all authority and power and that we better believe His Word. Alright? Yeah. If, if He spoke this universe into existence, then I think He's got the right to tell me what I ought to do. I think He should be able to tell me how I ought to dress. I think He ought to be able to tell me what kind of religious practices I have. Uh, across the board... He has all authority. So, look at verse 5 of Psalms 93. It says, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Another doctrine that's profited by Psalms 93 is the power of the Word of God. And the, the uh, infallibility of the Word of God. The authority of the Word of God. Look at what it says in Psalms chapter 12. Verse 6, Everybody, if you're a King James person, you ought to know this verse. This is a great passage right here. Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. 
Okay, so we see in Psalms 93.5, it says, Thy testimonies are very sure. In other words, we can count on them. We can trust them. They're right. See, one of the reasons many people they don't want to believe the Bible is they often question the credibility of the Bible. Oh, well, that's just written by man. No, it's actually the words of God. Oh, yeah, but man wrote it. Yes, holy men of God spake as they were moved to the Holy Ghost. It, was them, it wasn't them writing just their words and their thoughts. No, they were under the inspiration of God and they wrote the very words of God. And the Bible says the words of the Lord are sure. We can count on them. And it says also in Psalms chapter 12 that God would preserve them. I just had a missionary the other day. Okay, a missionary wanted to come here. He wanted to come here until I mentioned that we were a post-trib and against Jews. <clears throat> and then he never sent me his information. But I had already pretty, I had already decided I wasn't going to have this guy because I asked him about his position on the King James Bible. And he and you know, and this is one of the, one more thing that just irritates me about the Ruckmanites. He was like, I'm King James, and I didn't even bring up Ruckmanites. But he's like, but I'm not like the Ruckmanites. Alright, which well, God bless you for that. I'm glad you're not like the Ruckmanites. But what do you mean by you're not like the Ruckmanites? Alright? What do you mean by that? And he said, well, I believe that the King James is preserved. Alright? But I believe in the inspiration of the originals. And, I mean, right there. And I just told him, I said, that really doesn't make sense. I said, if God promised to preserve His Word and God's Word was inspired, then wouldn't it make sense that God would preserve it? It's still being inspired? If it's not inspired anymore, then God didn't preserve it. Okay? And I stole Dennis Corll's uh, illustration he always used. You know, if you go and you get a jar of preserve and you preserve peaches, you put those peaches in the jar, what do you expect to have in there later when you go to open those preserves? Peaches! You expect the same thing to be there that you originally put there. And if God promised to preserve His Word and His Word was inspired, if God preserved it, then it's still inspired today. So, I'm sorry. I, I hate when people say that. Alright? That, that, that's a stupid argument. And then after I said all that, oh, no, yeah, yeah I believe that. Well, you better figure it out. Alright? And you better, you know, don't be ashamed of saying you believe the Bible's inspired. Alright? I don't know if he was trying to hide from this, uh, you know, whole uh, what do they call it? The double inspiration or the uh, what's the one thing they do where it's like even more inspired? What's that called? Advanced revelation. Yeah, I don't. Advanced revelation, stupid. All right. If God promised to preserve His word, okay, we have the same thing that started out. Okay, we don't have an. It's not an advanced revelation today. That God, that's that's stupid. All right, that's stupid too. That's why when people tell me they're not like the Ruckmanites, you know, I like to ask, in what way? Because if it's because you're weak on the King James Bible, they don't own the King James Bible. Alright? They do not own it. And unfortunately, they've given King James only people a bad name. Just because they're all a bunch of freaks and weirdos. But anyway, the Word of God it is it's it's preserved. Okay? And so this backs up uh, what we read here, it backs up Second Timothy uh 3.16, where it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. See, here's the thing. If the Bible was not perfect, 
if it was not still inspired, well then it wouldn't necessarily be profitable. You know, the, and it also says in there, after it says that, it says that the man of God may be perfect or complete Truly first in all good works. Well, if there are mistakes in our Bible, how can we be perfect? How can we be complete? We can't because we will be missing things. How could we be perfect or complete in our doctrine if our Bible is not perfect? We wouldn't be able to do that. There would be no way for that to happen. And you know, and then and this is one of the other stupid arguments people like to bring up. Well, you know, if that's true, you know, what makes you think it's inspired in English? You know, wouldn't God have had to do that in every language? All right, and listen, there's a million ways to show how that's another foolish argument, right? But here, here's one thing that let's just use some common sense, all right? I don't even need to use the Bible to prove this. But where has the best doctrine come from? Where have most missionaries come from? What language has done more to spread the gospel than any other language? English. Alright? Have we ever seen any great revival since the 1600s through any other language in English? Absolutely not. It looks like God's been using the King James Bible. It looks like this is the main one. And you know what's interesting too is the King James Bible, it's what people are using too to help translate all the other Bibles. And God's doing great things in other countries, but I believe a lot of the great things God's doing in other countries, because of their translations they have, it is because they are profiting from what we have here in the King James Bible. So, I mean, right there, just common sense. When you look at how God has used the United States to send out missionaries, what other country is sending out missionaries like the United States? None. Okay? Now you could say England was at one time. They're not anymore. Okay? They've apostatized so bad. And we're heading that way in the United States. But, I mean, where the greatest revivals are held, it is where the King James Bible is being used. Even in places like the Philippines. Notice how God didn't you know, preserve it in each of the Filipino languages because there's a ton of them. But you know how Filipinos all communicate with each other? In English. And you know what? There's great revivals taking place in the Philippines. And guess what Bible's being used to spread those? The King James Bible. So, you know, you go find me another translation. And when I say another translation, I don't mean another translation in English, but a translation in another language that is being used like this King James Bible. It just appears to me like God's all over the King James Bible and is using it big time. So, there's, there's a million ways to prove that the King James Bible is it. And it is, it's what it's all about. And I'm not preaching a whole message on that. But we do see here in Psalms 93 that the, the Word of the Lord is sure. And this King James Bible is sure. We can count on it. It is, does not have errors in it. It is inspired by God. And it proves itself all the time. And so look at verse... Um, um, back to Psalms 93, verse 5. So it says in verse... Oh, I lost my spot. Yeah, so therefore, thy, tes- thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. So notice how it ended that there. But it started out in verse 1 talking about how you know the world is established that cannot be moved. So it's interesting how at the end of the passage, 
It's talking about how the testimonies or God's words are sure. They can be count on, counted on. They're immovable, just like the earth. Just like there's nothing we can do to move this earth, there's nothing we can do to mess with the Word of God. There's nothing we can do to change the Word of God. There's nothing, there's nothing that can be done to stop the Word of God. It is amazing how God has preserved His Word. And you know what? There has been a lot of bloodshed. Uh, many people died so we could have this King James Bible that we have today. The devil has done everything he could to try to get rid of the Word of God. And he has not been able to do it. You know why? Because the Word, the word of God is sure. Just like this earth is sure, just like we can count on this planet being here you know, to the end of time, we can count on the Word of God being there forever. Uh, look at what it says in First Peter or Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews first. Hebrews chapter four, verse twelve. It says, "For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do." So this Bible, it's powerful. Okay, it cuts. It's uh, it's quick. It's alive. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only the Word of God can be that way. This is the very Word of God, and it proves it all the time. First Peter one twenty three says, "Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." Okay, the Word of God liveth, just like it says in Hebrews, it's quick, which means alive. And the Word of God liveth and abideth forever. Okay, and here's the thing too. For people who want to make this argument that we don't have a perfect Bible, okay, the Bible says, obviously, that God liveth forever, right? And does God ever lose it? Is God ever going to lose any of His holiness? No, and the Bible also says the Word of God liveth and abideth forever. Well, it's not going to lose any of its holiness either. It's not going to lose any of its perfection either. It's going to be just as perfect. It's going to be just around just as long as God is. And that means it is it is eternal. So um, look at Matthew 5.17. says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Do you realize... Just like we can count on this earth, okay, the Word of God is actually going to last longer than that. Because you know what it says in First uh, John two seventeen, or uh, Matthew twenty four thirty five says, "Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away." You know it's amazing how people they're not worried about the sun rising tomorrow and the sun setting tonight. People aren't worried about that, but you know what? They're worried about the Word of God. I don't know if God can, I don't know if God can preserve His Word even though we see that it's more sure than this earth. It's more sure than those things. It's more sure than the four seasons and all those things that we, we can count on that have consistently been happening since the beginning of time. The Word of God is more sure than those things and it's actually going to last longer than those things. First John 2.17 says, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So, the world's not going to be here forever. One of these days it's going to pass away. But the Word of God's not going to. So, 
I think we're pretty safe in trusting this Bible. I think we can actually count on it. I don't know how many smart people get together and have their conferences showing where the King James Bible is wrong. It doesn't matter. Okay? You know what those people look like? You know what the James Whites and all these clowns look like when they get together trying to disprove the King James Bible? You know what Jack Scopp and all his cronies looked like when he had his big KJV summit trying to show where there are mistakes in the King James Bible? You know what they looked like? They looked like a big, massive group of millennials all getting together and holding hands and trying to jump at the same time to see if they could shake the earth. That's what they looked like. That's what it looked like. They can get there and they can talk all they want and make themselves feel smart all they want, but they can't change the truth. The Word of God is sure we can count on it. Nothing can change that. And they can declare whatever they want. All those millennials holding hands, jumping together, wearing their matching pink shirts, they can all say, I felt something, I felt something, but you know, we're all going to be standing off watches like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you, can't, you can't change this. You can't move this. You're not, going to be able to, you're not going to be able to affect anything. And the Word of God is that sure. And think about this, okay? So once again, this is a psalm, alright? And this is just kind of a side note here because these things were supposed to be sung. These things should have been in their hearts. And you realize how many doctrines you know, the Jews got wrong that actually if they would have just known their psalms, they would have been okay. Do you know how many prophecies were Jesus fulfilled at the cross from the book of Psalms? There was that. There's the one that talks about them upon his vesture casting lots. Okay? That was in the book of Psalms. And think about this. All right? Now, I don't know if you all are like this. Okay? My family would tell you I'm like this. It is not uncommon for me to be driving down the road and to see something, to see just about anything, and it will trigger a song. Alright? Okay, I mean, I, I can see almost anything and I'm going to sing a song. Alright? Guess what song I was singing a lot when we were going to Aurora? I'm not going to sing that song. It was an Andrew's song. Andrew's sister's song. Aurora. I, I, I won't sing that song. I'll look really carnal. Alright, but you know, I, I had that song in my head. When I, I, I see things all the time and it will just trigger a song in my head. I can't go to St. Louis without singing Meet Me in St. Louis. I can't head to Indiana without seeing a sign for Gary in Indiana and singing the song Gary Indiana from the Music Man. I can't do it. Alright? My family knows it. These things, I see things and it just it triggers a song. And in, in our everyday life, that's just how it is. Is anybody else like that or is that just me? Alright, I'm not the only one. I think that's just human nature, alright? I, I think I'm especially like that. But think about if they would have had these psalms memorized, if they'd have had these psalms in their hearts, there, what should have happened, whenever they saw people casting lots upon the vesture of Jesus, that should have triggered a song right there. I mean, you know, I don't have any of them written down. Jason did a whole monologue about it at a competition one year where he was pretending to be a scribe and he's at the cross. I think he performed that here. You might remember it. And he's seeing all these things at the cross that he remembers from the book of Psalms. And the truth is, if they had these things in their hearts, they would not have been as likely to have missed out when the Messiah was there fulfilling those things right before their eyes. They sang about these things, and yet they still missed it. And you know, sadly, you know, we don't sing 
the psalm, very many psalms. There, there's a few that we do. You know, I Psalms 19. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. That's one we used to sing. I love that passage. Just a, a beautiful song, a beautiful passage of Scripture. And you know what? Whenever I've heard people questioning the Word of God, that song's often popped in my head. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Ever heard that one? Statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are true, enlightening the eyes. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Just beautiful song. I hear You hear the questioning, and it's hard for me to get sucked into it because I get triggered by a song from the book of Psalms. I really think we need to get a lot more of these to music and be singing these things. Maybe people wouldn't get caught up in as much false doctrine if they had these things in their head. If they were getting triggered. You know, a lot of the songs that we sing today, a lot of our hymns, most of them are really good. They're very doctrinally sound. But some of them aren't. Some of them are wrong. Often, when having a theological discussion, people will often try to you know, advance an unbiblical doctrine by using a line from a song. That happens all the time. And I'm not saying we can't write new songs and sing new songs. I'm all for that. But we need to make sure they're doctrinally sound. Well, what songs would could be more doctrinally sound than the Psalms? They're very doctrinally sound. We need to have these things in our head and in our hearts so we won't miss out on things. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine for reproof. And this right here, Psalms 93, the title of the message, is a profitable song. Or a profitable, a profitable song. This song said it's not, it's not super deep theological, theologically, but you know what? It's just a little more ammo to help prove some other doctrines. Okay? The, you know, the eternal nature of God, there's plenty in the Bible about it without Psalm 93, but you know what? It's just one more, one more thing. Whenever the naysayers come along, it's one more song that we can have in our head. It's one more verse of Scripture that we can have in our heart. Whenever people come along trying to you know, refute or try to teach that there's mistakes in your Bible that you can't count on it, there's just one more verse. One more song in your heart telling you otherwise so you don't get caught up in these things. We've got to realize that every word of the, if, if God took the time to preserve every word of this Bible every jot and tittle of this Bible, then it all must be important. It all must be profitable. Therefore, we ought to pay attention to every bit of it. We ought to preach every bit of it, not shy away from any of it. In Psalms 93, it is, it's an example of a psalm that was used to teach doctrine to the Jews that it should have helped them believe on Christ when He came to earth. Jesus often spoke of His eternal nature. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He, ta- he, he said those things. Some of the things that Jesus tried to get across to the Jews that they didn't believe, they, he, you know, Psalms backed up what Jesus was saying. There were, Jesus quoted Psalms many times to the Jews. But you know what He would often say to them? You, err, you do err not knowing the Scriptures. Often their problem that they had it wasn't always that they were wolves, even though that was a problem many times. 
It wasn't always that they were evil. Sometimes they were in error. It was a mistake. You know, we all make mistakes. Well, why did they make this mistake? Because they didn't know the Scriptures. They never memorized that one. Ah, the tune to that one's boring. I don't like that song. Well, you need to learn it. Because it's a, it's a really good one. You would have got this doctrine right if you would have known that song. You would have, you would have made the right choice. You would have known to believe on Christ. And so... You know, the uh, teaching the Psalms, it backed up. You know, or the things that Jesus taught were backed up by the very songs that they should have been singing. But I don't know, maybe they were too busy listening to their secular junk that they had back then. I don't know. If, I don't know what they had back then. But if they'd have been, if they'd have been focused on these things, they'd have been fine. But they didn't believe on Christ, though. Ultimately, because they didn't believe the Old Testament, they they didn't believe Psalms ninety three. They didn't, and therefore, they didn't believe Christ, but they had no excuse. God gave them His Word. God gave them songs. They should have been ready to go. So, Psalms 93 is a profitable song. We need to learn these psalms. We need to memorize these psalms and have, have them in our heart. They are, they are beautiful words that have good doctrine in them. So, I hope that was a blessing to you. With that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness to us. We thank You for Your Word and how it is profitable for us. Lord, I pray you'll help us to take advantage of it and read it and memorize it. I pray we'll, uh, Lord, I pray you'll raise up uh, talented songwriters that can put these psalms to music so these things can be sung and become in our hearts. Uh, and They'll be in our hearts so we uh, won't miss a lot of the valuable doctrines that are there. We won't, that we'll be less likely to be led into error. I pray you'll just help us to, to work on these things. We thank you for Your Word. We thank You that we can count on it no matter what this world does, no matter what they say. We can count on Your Word. We thank You for that. In Your name we pray. Amen.